the vast majority of entrepreneurs and people who start businesses do it on willpower and things go wrong from there. You have to have want power. You have to have a strategy and you have to have a desire, an inner desire that you want to do it. From there comes the discipline. Welcome to the My Future Business Show, where we get you in front of your best audience and keep you there. Not only are we interviewing the biggest names in business to help you become even more successful, we're inviting you to book your spot on the show to help you grow your business. So at the end of the call, make sure you fill in the interview application form at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the My Future Business Show. I hope you're doing really well. I am so, so proud to be your host and so honored to have the privilege to sit with incredible people um, helping to educate you and find your way forward in your business with your books and your ventures. And on today's call, I've got somebody very, very special lined up uh, for you and his name's Mr. Paul Owen. Welcome to the show, Paul. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. It's um it's the uh, beginning of a different journey to, to educate everybody about what we've been doing for the past 30 years. Yes, absolutely. And we're going to take a deep dive into everything that you, you're doing. You're an author, you're an educator. And we're going to be talking about your book, Fixing Stupid, which contains the ingredients needed to unlock uh, your inner genius. Now, prior to the call, you and I spent some time talking about all the different elements that go into the work that you're doing, Paul. And I'm wondering, first of all, if we can just learn a little bit about you by asking where you're calling in from today. Um, we're on the East Coast, a little bit outside of D.C., about 60 miles out of the D.C., west of D.C., mm-hmm. and um, been here for the past 15, 20 years. Before that, big time in Silicon Valley, uh, too much time in Silicon Valley. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, I have an a engineering background. Uh, I've graduated from law school, too, but I graduated at an, uh, uh, an older age, mm-hmm. um, barely get in a good school because I was like too old mm. you know they just want buffs and biffs in their schools um, <laughs> I wasn't a buff and a biff but I got in anyway but um, did the tech thing for a long time started a number of different companies in technology uh, one of my claim to fames is I invented the talking video slot machines <laughs> that, are in, that are around the world <laughs> that everybody kind of knows about but uh, other than that, I've been doing law for the last 30 years, and we've discovered some amazing things when we've done it. Uh, it's kind of interesting, actually. Yeah, well, look, we're going to have the opportunity to unpack all of the wonderful work you've done. Now, you've authored dozens, many, many different um, styles of books along the way, and I'd love to talk a little bit about that in a moment. But uh, you also graduated um, from the Navy, is that correct? Yeah, Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland, yes. Now, tell me something about discipline. You would know a lot about discipline, given that that's your background. How important is discipline in the line of work that you do? Um, it's, it's more of a difference between uh, focusing on, a lot of people focus on willpower, yep. okay? And they, you know, oh, geez, if you just try hard enough, it's going to work, and you just punch your way through. And that doesn't really work right, okay? Um, you get your your stamina and your discipline to do things when you have want power. I want this. You don't force yourself to do it through willpower because willpower doesn't last very long. It dissipates very quickly. And this is a well-known psychological fact. Yet 
the vast majority of entrepreneurs and people who start businesses do it on willpower and things go wrong from there. You have to have want power. You have to have a strategy and you have to have a desire, an inner desire that you want to do it. From there comes the discipline, okay? Uh, that, that, that becomes the discipline because every day when you wake up, you have this desire to do something. You have this desire to complete something. And from there, the discipline of actually doing the work on a daily basis, even though no one's cracking the whip on you, that's what happens. That's so what that's happens. I, you know, I, I often talk about um, um, who in our lives as we're growing up, um, in our, I guess, the early formative years, who is in our lives that influences us to become or take the direction that we have in life? Was there anybody like that in your life, Paul? Yeah, I, I, um, uh, I went to a military academy in the, for summer camp. Um, it's a place called Valley Forge Military Academy. And I went there in summer camp and there was a, a counselor that explained to me the concept of being proud of what you've done. And the concept was really simple. If there's the best band in the world, but you're the, the last guy, the last musician that ever got in that band and you just squeak by and got in it, you should be proud as hell that you did it because you're in the best band in the world even though you're the weakest link in the chain. And that person influenced me a lot. Um, it, uh, it taught me that, you know, don't be scared of stuff, just do it. If you're getting in with a group of people that are way above you, don't be scared about it, just jump in there. And as long as you're in the group, you made it, you're, you're there, okay? So you, you can actually learn things from there. We call that vampire learning. You can learn a lot from a lot of those people in those areas if you get in with the right groups of people. Yeah, vampire learning. What a, that's a great so analogy, great way to put it. Now, um, I'm wondering, again, because of your background, what's a day look like for you? Are you a bit of an early riser? Do you like to get up? And when are you the most productive? I don't. We work from home. Everybody in all of our companies work from home, mainly because you don't have to spend the time. You waste your time. Time's the only thing you've got, Okay. If you waste it, that's too bad. You can't get it back. So the key there is to be able to use your time to the best. So if you don't have to get up and get all dressed up and ready for work and get in your car and drive somewhere and uh, suffer through traffic or all those you know uh, things about getting to work, that's very important. So that extra hour, that extra two hours every day that you don't do that, that's time for productivity. That's time for getting things done. Um, so there's a routine. The most important thing for uh, uh, getting out of the willpower and getting to want power is having your daily routine, okay? So every day when I wake up, um, I deal with the orders that we have for the books that we have, get all that done. And then I always write two or three case briefs. Always. I always write two or three case briefs at which point I'm usually done around 10.30 or 11, and then I just handle the rest of the business issues from the rest of the day on. Yeah, wow. Look, I've, I've seen a lot of your um, your websites. You've got an involvement in more than just one, and I'd love to talk about um, you know sharing relevant um, website links later on in the show. Now, you, uh, again, uh, we've touched on this. You, you've written hundreds of different law books. Um, did did writing always come naturally to you, do you think? Or is it something you've had oh, to learn? No <laughs> way. No way. 
Uh, I had to reach up and touch bottom. I came from an engineering background and it was hard, um, but um, you just keep at it, you know, and eventually you get really good at it. I'm a little bit too good at it now. Um, I can spot things too fast and read, like if it's about the law, um, I can spot things wrong with a case in nanoseconds. It's like, no, this is bad. This is, this is not good law. Here's the reason why. And even though this was written by a judge in the appellate court or a judge on the Supreme Court, this is why it's wrong. Okay. And it's easy to spot the stuff when you actually know what you're talking about. The sad part about the law is 95 to 98% of the people that talk about the law know nothing about it. That's the sad part. And the people who don't know anything about it, they suffer for that ignorance. So. Yeah, and there's certainly a lot to be learned from those who have already um, walked the path before you. And I'd love to um, learn a bit more about um, that part of your process. But most of um, your students, you've mentioned in your write-up, in your write-up here, that they all have very much the same trouble. Now, explain to us what you're talking about. Okay, and this is everybody has this trouble, and it's based upon modern education. Okay, the focus of modern education is real simple today. They want you to learn theories only, nothing else. Just learn a theory, okay? And after you learn a theory, um, we'll replace the educator with your family. So let's take God, take your family, and move them off to the side, and then we'll replace the government and the educational institution with your family, and then we want you to learn all our, our theories, okay? And that's what they do today, and it's so sad because to be intelligent, to be smart, you have to know facts. You have to be fact-centric. You have to you have to know lots and lots and lots of facts to actually develop real theories that work and are tested by the facts. Now, what happens today is they somebody from Harvard or some big school like Yale, I said, well, I went to Harvard and I have a degree in ancient, you know, Phoenician history after the fall of the Roman Empire. And it's like, great, you have a PhD in that. But today I'm going to tell you how you have to use the right pronouns uh, when you're addressing everybody in class. You know, that, that's the stuff they throw on you. And the sad part about it is, is these are all theories. And the minute they implement the theory, it almost always fails. Very rarely is successful. And when it fails, this genius that came up with a the theory just walks out the door and says, well, you know, the people that implemented it didn't implement it right. So... And some of the theories they implement on you are really sad. They're called communism and socialism and even sometimes capitalism. They implement these theories on you. And when they don't work, they just blame it on, well, it was the person who implemented it. It was their fault. The next time they'll get it right. We'll get the right person. And it never happens because they're all theories. And it's a, it's a sad fact. So you're sitting there and we recognized immediately that the common scenario you, every single law student comes in, they have the same story after a while it gets old, you know, and they go, well, I was, I was sitting and reading my torts book and I'm supposed to read the first 50 pages on my torts book. I say, good. And I started reading and then we say, well, let me tell you what happened. You started reading and 20 or 30 pages in, you kind of woke up and you, you wonder what it was that you read over the past 20 or 30 pages. You have no idea what you read, no recollection. You don't understand it. 
it's as though you were reading, but nothing was registering. And that's what we discovered was the problem. And the, the solution to the problem is simple, but it took us 20, 30 years to figure it out. And that's why we wrote the book, Fixing Stupid. It describes the entire process we went through on how you fix this. And what it comes down to is the average person doesn't even understand how their brain works, okay? So, and, and when you look at how your brain works, there's only, you remember the, the, the show, the Beverly Hillbillies, you know, on TV back in the 60s and stuff? They had this show into the 70s and Jethro Bodine was the, was the nephew or something and he was gonna become a brain surgeon, you know? And <laughs> it's like, yeah. Uh, you don't need to know how the brain works to know how ma to manipulate it. You do if you're going to be a brain surgeon, but if you're in everyday life, you only need to know three things about your brain, okay? And we labeled them real simple, and we'll explain why the simple labeling is in a few seconds, but it's there's only three states your mind goes into during the day. It goes into Godzilla, okay? It goes into emo, which is emotional, and it goes into the neocortex zone. Now, Godzilla, as you can imagine, is survival, okay? The basic instinct of survival, your brain functions in the Godzilla level automatically. Your brain functions in the emo level, the emotional level automatically, because that's the social level. That's how you get things done in the social world that you're in, okay? And those two things are kind of on automatic. The area where you communicate, like right now we're communicating and we're in what's called the neocortex zone, okay? That's where you, you communicate, that's where you learn. And the problem is students don't know how to trick their mind into going in the neocortex zone. That's all we do. It's so simple, it's disgustingly simple. And the reasons why it worked in the past are very interesting. The reasons why it doesn't work today are uh, disgusting. And the, the idea is once you learn how to trick your mind to be in the neocortex zone, your ability to learn goes up exponentially, like two, 300%. And when that happens, you, you get these students in law school. This is the common, common, common thing. It's just, you know, I get a thousand students a year that say this, well, I was getting C pluses and B minuses and I didn't understand anything and I was reading my assignments and, and my mind was drifting all over the place and then I did your stuff and now I'm getting all A's. Now the prof uses my exam as the one that here's the model answer for how to get an A in this class. You know? and, and all of a sudden they know everything. Okay, And we teach you how to trick your mind. Now, you don't become smarter. Your IQ isn't going to increase, and the IQ is irrelevant to begin with, but your ability to comprehend, your ability and speed of learning goes up dramatically. So in an hour, you can accomplish three and a half times what the average person can accomplish. So that's, that's incredible, but you know what? It's easy to do. Is this where we're actually... Um remapping our neuro pathways is that is that part of what's happening no 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 see in the 20s in the 1920s everywhere across the world in the 1920s education was vastly superior than it is today doesn't matter what country you were in 
United States, Europe, Australia, it doesn't matter. The education levels were vastly superior. There was a number of reasons for that, okay? The first was, is there was plenty of exercise, okay? Smart people, contrary to the Hollywood myths where the smart people are all nerds, smart people are fit people, okay? They're not nerds. They're physically fit. They're, they're capable of doing all kinds of sports. It, there's a physical element to this that has been ignored for a long time since the, in, the, in the 60s and 70s. They started ignoring it. So when you look at how to trick your mind into this, we teach students how to use that dissipating power, their willpower, okay? And what happens is, is we say, force yourself to do something for 20 minutes, which almost anybody can do. After the 20 minutes is up and a little alarm goes off, get up and exercise. And I'm talking about vicious exercise, not little pansy stuff. For, for older people, it's okay, you know, go out and mow the lawn or take a walk or wash your car or something. But for young people, I'm talking about when you're done exercising, you're, you're, you're sucking wind, okay? You exercise for five to 10 minutes, you reset your clock, you force yourself to study for another 20, and that's all the process is. That's the whole book. That's all that Fixing Stupid's about. If you want to learn the rest of the stuff, cool. If you want to get the book, get the book. There's a lot more to it. So what happens, though, is the student can force themselves to study in the neocortex zone, so they're absorbing massive amounts of information in this 20 minutes. When they're done, the clock goes off, they get up, they exercise, that resets their mind to trick it again to go into the neocortex zone. And an interesting thing happens. You do this for two or three weeks, you'll notice when your little alarm goes off and says your 20 minutes is up and you need to exercise, you'll notice you're so deep in studying, you didn't even realize you had an alarm on. At which point, all you do is for the next time, Instead of setting your alarm for 20 minutes, you set it for 25. Uh. When you hit 25 and you start, you know, hitting over 25 minutes, you set it for 30 minutes. Two or three months later, you'll be doing what we call 5510, which is you'll be in the neocortex zone at will, okay, for 50 minutes at a time. You get up, you do your five to 10 minute exercises, and then you start the process again. That's how you study. Once you, you do that, that doubles, it doubles your, intelli your, your ability to learn, your speed, efficiency uh, to learn, it doubles it. So whereas before you were what we call a 1.0 learner, now you can learn twice as much in the same amount of time. See, this is, um, reminds me of a conversation I, I, I once had about, you know, your physical body, if you don't move it, you lose it. Now. Um, to me, this seems like such a simple formula that it's ridiculous um, how it could be overlooked for so many years. Now, is this why you called it fixing stupid? Yes. Okay. But but see, that, that's now you brought up the key to all this. It's it's not that you know how to do this because see, once you do the exer the 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 force yourself into the neocortex zone with a clock and exercise and and you get into that routine and you move yourself up to 50 minutes at a time instead of 20, you're in there. You know what you do to get it to the, to, uh, from the 2.0 level to the 3.0 level? You, you memorize things. You memorize the stuff before you read it. 
during the day, you, you put things in your permanent memory about what you're going to be studying that night when you're doing your neocortex study. So you take five minutes here and five minutes there during the day, and you memorize all kinds of things. Like one of the things my law students memorize is consideration. And consideration is the bargain for exchange that induces current performance, offers detriment, and is binding. It can't be pre-existing, but it can be illusory or nominal surrounding or bearing a legal right. Now that's the base definition of consideration. Now, what's interesting about this and about lawyers is, see, you memorize those facts, which is the definition of consideration. That's the base. There's a lot more, okay? And I'm not going to bore you with the rest of it. But once you memorize that, you turn all those facts into questions. You say to the facts, you go, was there a bargain for exchange? Was there an inducement? Okay? Was there detriment? You see? And you turn all the questions into facts. And the, the amazing thing about law school and the scam of law school is, once you ask the questions, what we call Joe six pack, you know, the guy on the street that you just, you know, is working the roof job or something. You say, Hey, can you read this fact pattern for a minute or two? And then after you're done reading that, um, can you answer some questions for me? So you, if I ask the questions for Joe six pack, he can answer 90% of them correctly, legally correct. If, if, if I ask the question, the sad part is, is if you ask a lawyer, or a judge, or a law student, the same questions, they they won't be able to, to ask all the questions. If there's 27 things about offer you need to ask questions for, they'll ask 13 of them. And the even worse part is when they ask them, they'll get only 80 to 90% of them right when they ask them. So they're missing half the questions, and they get 80 to 90% right when they do ask and answer the questions. And that's why lawyers are so damn pathetic. Most lawyers yeah. that you run into in real life, they they don't know their ass from the hole in the ground. <laughs> I'm loving this. I'm loving this conversation, Paul. I I I had a question this, with with all of this. What I'm taking from this is that it's not about IQ. It's not about your inherent level in, of intelligence. You can almost ask the most simplest person on the street, and they could get it right. This is about breaking up. And again, using the physical body, I really need to make sure that the audience understands from a fundamental level how simple this actually is. Because I'm a busy-brained person, I, I believe, and I think all of the time, I'm always thinking, you know, two, three, four, five steps ahead, what am I going to do today? How am I going to serve? Um, all these things. Is, is this about, uh, I guess, compartmentalizing the way we think? No, no, it's, it's, it's about learning how to learn. Now, once you, once you realize your true learning potential, and I, I mislabel them because I say, well, most people are 1.0 learners today. Well, those are the people who don't know how to learn, <laughs> okay? Uh, you, when you become a 3.0 or a 3.5 learner, what happens is, is you actually know how to learn now. You, you actually know how to manipulate your brain so that you can learn things now. How much better will your life be when you know three times as much information or when it takes you one third the time to learn what you need to learn versus what you want to learn? Now, the reason you're always thinking four or five steps ahead, okay, and your brain's always running on the strategies on how you're going to do things is because you're not living through willpower. You're living through one power. You have a desire 
to do something and to accomplish it. And you're making this strategy during the day or during the month or during the year on how to accomplish that. That's why you think your brain is so busy, but that's what, that's what want power does to you. That's what's forcing you to do the way you live, the way you make decisions. That's what want power does to you. So you're already running on one power. Yeah, I um, I, I, I always make it a, uh, I make it a rule for me to every day do cross trainer, and I always at that time, um, for fifty minutes to an hour solidly, I'm always listening to an audio book, and I find that I can retain that information. Is there validity in trying to learn whilst you're exercising? Do you think there's there's nothing wrong with it? Okay. Um, there are certain types of learn. Everybody learns differently. Okay. Some people like the audio visual. Some people like the studying. Some people learn by examples. Others learn by vampire, by vampire learning, like give me a mentor and I'll just suck his blood, learn what that person knows. So that, that, that's to each individual person. Okay. But exercise is extraordinarily important because it, snap, it allows you to snap back into the neocortex zone and force yourself to go in the neocortex zone. Because, see, while you're trying to learn, Godzilla and Emo, you know, the other two parts of the brain I talked about, they're screwing with you. It's like, you know, Godzilla, it's like, this isn't about survival. I, this has got nothing to do with survival. I'm just going to dismiss this, okay? It's, it's not important. And Emo says, well, where's the party? You know, I want to be watching tube or partying or going to the club or having fun with my, my mates and my buds. It's like, I don't want to be here doing this, you know, and, and those are the forces in your mind, the internal influences that are screwing you. That's what screws most people. Okay. And uh, yeah. you've got a strategy already. That means you're, you're dealing with want power that forces emo and Godzilla into their place a little bit, not perfectly, just a little bit, okay? If if you learn the trick of staying in the neocortex zone to do most of your strategizing and thinking, you'll notice a remarkable, remarkable increase in about two to three months. <laughs> I'm, I'm being a little bit selfish here. I'm thinking of myself as a bit of a case study maybe, that if, if you know, let's just talk um, for those poor souls who are sedentary in their life, they're just missing out on a real life essentially and learning uh, the ability to learn for one but if if i'm in a workplace and i'm working for somebody and i don't have the opportunity to go into this space through exercise how do i if i'm keen to learn using your techniques how do i find that extra time to exercise or is there a, can you just do it no, we, day, start it we we are now consulting with companies uh, about 30% of my day is how do you get your employees to learn better and to function better and make better decisions because they have more facts to deal with and they, they can function so much better in the workplace. There is no excuse for what I just said. There just doesn't work. We don't know of a way to make it work. Um, we have a number of companies that have done this. They started out with the 20 minutes of hard work and five, 10 minutes of exercise. That's how you do it. And eventually, most of the people, you know, they're so deep in the work. When you ask them to exercise, they're just, oh, oh what, what happened? You know, uh, I was thinking about these problems here or talking to this customer. I got to do this. You have to do it. It's and but once the people get there, it's a, t a totally different situation. And 
to be honest, okay, if you're working for yourself, you're really working, okay? But if you're working for somebody else, you're not, okay? The average person works 30 minutes out of an hour. The average software engineer works three hours a day, but they claim they work eight. Um, <laughs> we know those for facts because we're in the software business big time. And uh, our software engineers don't work three hours a day. They actually work eight. But they're exercising through the day as they work. Um, so most of them are on 55-10. So it, the hour is perfect because you you spend 50 minutes working and you have 10-minute exercise and break or whatever. Now, one of the important things we learn, too, is no distractions while you're in the neocortex zone learning. No drinking. No talking on the phone, none of that. That's all out, you know, no watching anything, no no playing video games, you know, no checking your social media or any of that. That's all out. All that stuff is crap. It's, that's, that'll just rot your mind. Uh, social media sends you right into the, right into Godzilla and emo, and it's a waste of time. Uh, it, it's so sad so many young people spend all their time on social media, and they're, they're just pissing their lives away. Tell me something, is this, um, how do you meet um, a client uh, or a student where they are right now in, in, ter in terms of their, I guess, their mindset towards your techniques? And can you audit this and say, hey, look, I know where you're at just by your physical body, maybe? Easily testing. It, it, the testing is all custom, but it's easily done, okay? We have tests that we give the law students that can tell what level of learning they're at. All right, whether they're only two or 1.5 or 2.0 or, or a 3.0 and up. So we have sophisticated little tests that, that give the person information and say, well, take two hours and tell me how much of this you know. And we test them at the end of two hours and we can tell what, what level of learning they are by the score they get on the test. Uh, and those are all law related. Um, it's easy to tell whether a person knows something. And, and this is the disgusting test that we give to law students. The, name a Tony Law School that you hear about all the time on TV. Oh, everybody goes to Harvard Law School and they're so smart and this and that. That's a freaking myth, okay? And how do we know that? Well, geez, we stand outside their test rooms, okay? After their 1L class is done taking their contracts exam, we stand outside their test rooms and say, hey, we'll give you $200 if you sit down and take our tests. Right after they walk out of the contracts stand, they just took Harvard University. We'll say, we'll give you $200 to take our test. And you know what our test is? Tell me everything you know about contract law. <laughs> and you know what? You know what the answers we get? Best score we ever got was 43%. You got to be joking. No, I'm not joking. They knew 43% of what they were supposed to know about contract law, yet these jackasses, and sorry for the word, claim that they're the gods and geniuses of the legal world. They're so intelligent, yet they know 43% of what they know about contract law, and they're going to get a jurist doctor. And after they're done with their contracts course, they're not going to do any more education on contract law. They'll just learn all kinds of other types of law, allegedly. But the answer is real simple. Tell me everything you know about this. Now, I go to a, an attorney who is really good on DNA, and I say, tell me everything you know about DNA, and, and I'll give you $1,000, just everything you know, and in three hours. After three hours, 
I'll get an earful from the guy saying, that's not enough time. I know so much more. I can barely even write down everything I know. It just keeps going and going and going and going. That's how you know whether you have a good attorney or not. It's just that simple. It's like, how much do you know about this? Yeah, and it's, it's kind of it's it's kind of like a prerequisite conversation that you have to have no matter what sort of professional you're dealing with. You do it in a stealth way. You With the attorney, I, I advise many corporate clients that are looking for attorneys to say, just register the number of questions the attorney asks you about the problem. And if it doesn't go into the hundreds of questions almost immediately, the guy's an idiot. Yeah, and you can see you can see um, how deep and how wide this topic would go. And I think there's going to be a lot of excited people to uh, knowing uh, on this call, knowing that within 10 minutes, they can learn the methods from you and your book. Um, and in a few months, they go ahead and they can effectively change their lives. Now, with all that being said, Paul, one of the most important parts of this call is that I want this book. Where am I going to find it? Well, you can go, you can find it on, that's the part of the problem. Uh, paper is in a deep trouble in the United States. It's hard to get paper. It's hard to get covers for books and things. But you can get you can get a, a Kindle version at uh, Kindle. Just look for Fixing Stupid Book, and you should be able to find it. It's called Fixing Stupid, you know, um, is the name of the book. So it's Kindle. It's only $10. And then uh, direct, you can go to fixingstupid.org. And we'll send you a uh, what we call a, a blank cover GDC printed eight and a half by eleven version of the book from FixingStupid.org for fifteen bucks. And then when paper comes in supply again in the U.S., we'll send you a traditional, you know, really nice, you know, multicolored uh, book cover and, and and a book that uh, you can put on the shelf or hand to somebody else. But that's where you get that stuff, okay? But what happens? You want to know what happens to people, okay? when after they learn this new methodology, they, they maximize their learning ability, okay? Their speed and learning ability. They know thousands of facts, tens of thousands of facts, and all of a sudden they start putting things together. Well, we have chapter 12 in the book, which talks about some amazing things, like how do you wanna pay off the national debt? Well, that's real simple. I can pay off the US national debt in 10 minutes. All I've gotta do is, you know, you're familiar with NASA, right? National Aeronautical Space Administration. All I've got to do is form nasapublic.com or whatever you want to call it, and I'll take NASA public. And I'll raise $800 billion from folks in Australia and Japan and India and US and UK and Germany and all kinds of places around the world. And I'll use that $800 billion as a venture capital company to invest in space exploration. And within less than 30 years, I'll be mining the asteroids and I'll return hundreds of trillions of dollars to the investors, which is more than enough if NASA keeps 20% of the equity to pay off the national debt. Even if it keeps rising, it doesn't matter. So who else have thought of something like that? A 3.45 learner thought of that. He says, let's just do this. We could, we could pay off the national debt in the United States if we just take NASA public. That's all we got to do. And all we have to do is raise $800 billion to do it. Now, here's the really crazy one. And take this one down. Venture, our, our, our VentureFinancial.org. There's been something that's happening in, in the United States and around the world 
you're you're a businessman, right? What's the one thing you don't do? You don't piss off your customers. Am I correct? Like you you have men and women as customers, right? Maybe fifty percent of each or whatever, right? Um, but you don't say to the women, well, I don't do business with women. You know how they are, you know, <laughs> and you just de denigrate them and you call them deplorables and you just piss off half your customers. How long do you think you'll stay in business if you do that? It's, it's obvious. You wouldn't stay in business. Right. You wouldn't stay in business as soon as someone else comes along and supplies what you've got. Now, $25 trillion in current equity value in the United States, these companies that total $25 trillion has pissed off half their customers. Half. Think about that for a second. It's like, how stupid can you be? I don't care if you're Google or Facebook or whatever it is you do. How do you think you can piss off half your customers? Just because you own 80% of the search market because you're Google and well, if you don't use me, screw you, who else are you going to use? Well, the interesting part about that is there's a movements underway already to put these people down permanently. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of True Social. Trump's out there thinking in his business mind, I'll start this company and we'll take down Twitter. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. Okay, who cares? All right. One of our members or one of our uh, partners, who is a 3.2 learner, said, hey, you know, investment, people invest wrong. It's 100%. Everything they do is wrong in their investments. He said, well, why is that? He says, well, the people that make the most money are the venture capital people. They invest in Google, and for 20 or 30 or $40 million, they buy $60 billion in assets for a successful company. Why don't the standard investments include the venture capital side? He said, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you should have the venture capital and then they invest in that. And then the companies that succeed get real big. And the chances are that you'll make a ton of money, lots of money. Then we, then somebody said, another person that was like a 3.0 learner said, well, wait a second, that's wrong. Because couldn't you have an investment company where a good number of the customers are also shareholders. Because see, you always need customers to make a business successful. So why don't we put the venture capital and all the customers under one umbrella and then have them buy shares with something stupid, like you spend, you have credit cards, right? Do you, do you have any cash back credit cards? No. Okay, well, if you had a cash back credit card, uh, Citibank or somebody like that, every time you spend a hundred bucks, they're going to give you a dollar fifty back. Well, that's kind of like a low level of investment. So we, we, they put together a company, these crazy guys, they call it venturefinancial.org. And they put this company together and the goal is to get 80 million shareholders who have a debit or a credit card that they just spend like they regularly spend without thinking about anything, just buy whatever you buy. And you'll buy shares in the venture capital firm. Well, if the person earns an average of $1,000 a week and spends 500 under credit card, and you have 80 million of these people, that's $850 million a week in venture capital to invest. Yeah. 850 million 
Now, I, <laughs> you know, what I'm taking from all of this is that this is a little bit, a little bit of lateral thinking and actually understanding and embracing the, the way that you're doing this. And I, I'm already thinking, well, I'm going to get my own hands on this book because I think I need to read it, as do many, so that we can get away from our old style of learning or um, our inability to learn. So um, with all that being said, you know, we're going to send you to, where is it, is it again? It's fixingstupid.org? Fixingstupid.org, or you can go to um, um, Kindle, okay, which is Amazon, and search for Fixing Stupid Book, that seems to be the way to find it on Amazon. Mm. Or you can go to venturefinancial.org. Um, but the venturefinancial.org thing, we started it literally two days ago. They got the website up. They have 6,000 people already registered with 140 affiliates. And like I said, it's going to have, when it gets to what it's supposed to be, it'll have $850 million a week in venture capital. That's five times what Sandhill Road, which is the venture capital capital of the world. I would like to invite everybody who is on this call today to certainly um, go and check out both um, Fixing Stupid and any other uh, information that we've covered off on the show today, because I think there's certainly a lot of potential in, in what Paul has shared with us today. And uh, with all that being said, Paul, I've really enjoyed this call. You have so much to share, so much knowledge, so many opportunities, and I'm sure a lot of people on this show today are going to be contacting you shortly. So thanks again for joining me on the show today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the call, then make sure to subscribe, leave a comment, share us with your friends and book your spot on the show at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. And if you're looking for solutions that will help grow your business, then visit myfuturebusiness.com forward slash shop.